last, probably Sunday afternoon, I went to go pick something up at the store, and I, I come around the corner, and I, I notice a family out decorating for Christmas. And I remember going, like, man, everybody is decorating for Christmas early this year. People decorating outside their houses, people decorating inside their houses. And I knew people looking forward to Thanksgiving, but it just seemed that everywhere, and not just because the weather was nice, but that people were decorating for Christmas. And I remember coming around, the, so I, I go to the store, and when I came back around the corner, I noticed the rest of the family had left, and the little girl was kind of just, she'd parked herself in front of her nativity scene, sitting there, girls probably 10, 12, something like that, and just sitting there staring at their decorations and staring at the baby Jesus. And it stopped me because I was like, man, everybody seems to be getting ready for Christmas this year. All of us seem to be getting ready for some, some like longing for something to happen this year. And, and I thought of that story this week because now we are past Thanksgiving and so decorations go up in full force. But I wonder, what are you getting ready for this year? Is it like most children? Is it getting ready for presents and getting ready for parties and getting ready for hot chocolate and getting ready for the traditions? Is it getting ready for... Maybe you read a certain like devotion as you get ready for Christmas, like longing to look for Jesus and look towards the coming of the Christ. Maybe you're here in the Christmas season and you're like looking forward to kids coming home or grandkids coming home or something. Or maybe you get ready for Christmas this year and you say there's somebody missing this year for the first time or for the tenth time. Maybe you're like looking at this Christmas and getting ready for the fact that things are still difficult in your family. There are still relationships that haven't healed, sorries that have not been said. So as we go into the Christmas season this year, I'm curious, what is it that you are getting ready for this year? We're starting a series in the book of Luke. And we're starting this series in the book of Luke, going through Luke chapters 1 and two. It's one of the it's the only two places in the Bible that tell the story of Jesus' birth. And what's so strange, we're gonna look at this today in Luke chapter one. Luke chapter one doesn't start with Jesus, or it doesn't seem to. Luke chapter one starts with a different birth announcement. So go ahead and turn there with me. Luke chapter one. Today we're gonna be in verses five through twenty-five. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Luke starts with him drawing up the, this is what I'm doing here. This is, I'm writing this history of Jesus the Christ. I've tracked people down, written an orderly account, he says, so that people can know the truth of the things they've heard. And Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5, we're going we're gonna to begin with verses 5 through 14. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the command, Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as a priest before God, he was chosen by Lot, 
according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, help us get ready this Christmas. Help us get ready today, this year. Help us to to get ready for the joy that you bring with your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke, this, this, this short story, verses 5 to 25, is this, the setting is that Zechariah is an old man. You basically would get one chance in your lifetime to pray in the, pray in the holy place of the temple. And this is Zechariah's chance. Two weeks a year, he's kind of, kind of like he was in the army reserve, but two weeks a year he would go to the temple and serve in the temple. And the rest of the year he would go home and often they would have other jobs. And this is, these are his two weeks a year, but in his lifetime, this is his one chance to go and offer incense and to pray for the coming of the Messiah before the people. And so that's what Zechariah does. The description is he and his wife, they, not they had never sinned, but they like were faithful to observing the Lord's commands, repenting of their sin. They're righteous in the sight of God. And yet, the, the mark of their lives is not that he's a good priest. It's that they were childless. There was a sense of shame in their lives, this, this hole that could not be filled. And so the, the setting is, this is Zechariah's division on duty. He's serving as priest. It's his turn, like the, the turn of all turns. For his whole lifetime, he, where he goes in and he, to pray. And he, while he is there, the, an angel of the Lord appears to him. We're going to find out the name of the angel. Most of the time, the angels in the Bible are not named. There's only two that are named. And this angel is named both in the Old Testament and Daniel and again here. But Zechariah is there offering incense, which represents the prayers of the people to the Lord. And an angel comes to him and says, Zechariah, do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. The, the right response when somebody sees an angel of the Lord, angels of the Lord were, were sent as messengers saying God's message, but whenever they showed up, the first words out of their mouth always had to be, don't fear. Do not fear me. Don't fear me. And so the angel of the Lord says, do not fear. And so the angel, that, that's basically what the word angel means, is messenger. Is the messenger comes with a message for Zechariah. And I love that what he says is, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. It's not exactly clear. Does he mean your prayer for the Messiah? The, your prayer for the Christ? Your prayer for the Deliverer? Or your prayer, for, but it, the indication seems to be that might be true, but there's also the element of you've been praying for a son. And you didn't, maybe that was an old prayer and you gave up on this one. Or maybe you were still praying that God might do something. The God who could open the womb of Sarah when she's old could somehow open your wife's womb and fill that, that hole in your heart and that hole in your life. And so the angel says, your wife will bear you a son and you're to call him John. And then he begins to describe what is it going to mean for you to have a son. This son, verse 14, he will be a joy and a delight to you 
and many will rejoice because of his birth. I love this because I was like, okay, so like, why are people going to be so excited about this baby? Why does this birth announcement show up here? And the angel says, because he's going to be great in the sight of the Lord, before the Lord. He is never to drink wine or other fermented drink. I was like, okay, I'm not sure why that's going to be a point of, of rejoicing. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Okay, they're, they're starting to get a clue that something is going on. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And then he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. So we start getting this clue here. Okay, so this baby is doing something special. The Holy Spirit's going to come on him. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to turn the hearts of Israel back to the Lord. But then here at the end of verse 17 is where it becomes clear. Like, why is this such a big deal? To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is not just a birth announcement that Zechariah, something, you're having a special baby. It's actually an announcement of the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. I was this week as I sat in my office, I was going, why does the story start here? And what God wants us to know and what Luke wants us to know is that John the Baptist's life was not about John. This son of Zechariah is not about John. It's making a people prepared for the Lord. This is essentially a message saying the Lord is coming. The Lord's coming. Zechariah, your your prayer has been answered. You're going to have a son. But Zechariah, the good news is the Lord is coming. Zechariah's response is a response we see throughout the Old Testament. When God makes a promise, Abraham is like, how can I know this is going to happen? How do I know that I'm going to have a baby? When the Lord calls Gideon to go and lead the people in battle because God is going to deliver the people, Gideon is like, well, here's a fleece, God. Can you make it wet or can you keep it dry? God can. It, people do this. Well, Zechariah comes and says, asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Zechariah doesn't believe. How can I know? How can I be sure, you angel of the Lord, that I'm afraid of when I just look at you? How can I be know that you know that your words are going to happen? Here's what the angel of the Lord says. I am Gabriel. That's where he names himself. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. The angel's response is, you have no idea what I've seen and I have been sent with a message to you. Your translation might say that I I am Gabriel. I stand before the face of God and I have been sent to speak to you. Like why You can be sure that these words are going to happen because these are not my words. These are the words that come out of the lips of the God of the universe, Zechariah. That's why you can be certain. And then there's this, this mild rebuke. It's not a total rebuke. God doesn't withhold his promise. He doesn't say, well, forget it. I'll just find somebody else. But there's this, this mild rebuke that, hey, the sign and the rebuke are together. It's a, Zechariah, you've never been silent your whole life, but now you're not going to be able to speak until your wife has this baby. And so every day that Zachariah wakes up and wants to ask, what are we having for breakfast, is a reminder, the Lord is giving us a baby. The Lord is, the Lord is doing this. 
Verse 21 says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed out so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. So, it begins happening immediately. Zechariah cannot speak when he goes out of the temple. Before the people, it's this reminder, this is the sign the Lord gave me. I can't speak. And so, Zechariah goes home to be with his wife. I, I read verse 24, his wife became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. And I was like, why would you remain in seclusion for five months? So I was reading some different resources. And then when I mentioned it to my wife, she goes, I know exactly why she, it's because it wasn't obvious that she was pregnant and people would have thought she was crazy. And then once it's obvious that she's pregnant, then she can tell people this is what the Lord is doing. And this is what the Lord has done. It turns out that's all, all my resources. It took all my resources to try and figure out why did this happen? And my wife was like, I know what a woman is thinking and why she would remain in seclusion because it's too wonderful for anybody to believe. And so this, this story of John the Baptist is not the story of John the Baptist. It's actually the story of the coming of the Lord at Christmas. This is, follows 400 years of the silence of God who has promised to deliver His people and yet for 400 years they have lived with no prophets, with no word from the Lord, just living and dying and hoping. And this is the, this is the announcement, not of a special baby, not of a holy man, but of somebody going to prepare the way of the Lord because the Lord is coming. And what I, what I want you to see here in these verses is that in this announcement, your wife will bear you a son and you are to call him John. Verse 14 is really the center of this. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. This is the point that God is announcing through the birth of the baby John, this baby John that joy is coming. Not John is bringing joy, but that joy is coming and that John is a, the, the one that's going before the Lord who is going to bring this joy. What I want to show you this today, this passage calls us here at Christmas to get ready because joy is coming into the world. Because joy is coming into the world. This passage gives us four reasons to get ready for joy. If you're like me, where you've, there are empty Places at the table. There's shame and guilt over things that have happened this last year. There's things that you could not fix that you desperately want to fix. De things that you desperately want to change. And you go, Joe, how can you tell me there's joy coming? Luke chapter 1 is the one that calls us and gives us four reasons to get ready for joy. First, the main reason, verses 13 to 17 tells us, get ready because it is the Lord's presence that brings joy. Verses 13 to 17 is this announcement of this baby. But it is repeated over and over and over in this announcement that the Lord is coming. That it is the Lord that's coming. Because the, the way that this passage describes it is the, it is before the face of God. It is before the face of God. Before the face of God. That we, this passage is in the announcement, I'm sorry, in the angel's announcement is this call to get ready for joy, not because there's a baby, not just because there's a baby, not because the government is going to be overthrown, not because food is coming, not because 
of anything except for the fact that this baby is going to help make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Joy is coming because the Lord is coming. This passage says, do not fear. This passage says, do not fear. And it comes to a man who couldn't have a baby, living at the high point of his life, and yet he's still described by emptiness. And he's being told that joy is coming because the Lord is coming. Zechariah, this baby isn't going to be the thing that's going to fill you with a lasting joy that will never change. It is the Lord coming that's going to do that. And so if Christmas is about joy, which is something that our lives and our world, our culture wants desperately, is this, this longing for something to bring joy, something that's going to make things a joy that's going to last. This passage calls us to get ready for joy because it is the Lord's presence that brings joy. It's only when that happens are we going to have true and lasting joy. A few months ago, I was boarding. I needed to board our puppy because we were going somewhere, maybe to see family. And uh, Actually, no, I was taking him in for a surgery. And, but they had a boarding facility, and they brought in this dog. They brought in a German, or somebody brought in a German shepherd. And it was the largest German shepherd I've ever seen. Like, I've seen Great Danes that are big. This is a, a German shepherd that when the, the dog stepped up, up on the scale, it was 129 pounds. Just enormous. I was like, I think I could ride that horse. And, but, the, so, but I'm standing there kind of waiting for everything to kind of be, be worked out. And I noticed that the dog had tucked its tail between its legs and was acting like a small, scared little puppy. And the, the owner was, you know, trying to, you know, hey, you know, go this way, go this way. This dog could have destroyed the place, could have run all of us out of there. If, but she was like, yeah, he's really scared because he knows when he comes here, he's going to be boarded because we're going on vacation. And the, the thing that her dog wanted most was don't leave me alone. Take me with you. This, this is the kind of dog that you turn and go the other direction if you meet it on the street. Like this dog, in one sense, could do anything that it wants to do. But what the dog wanted was not to do anything they wanted to do. It was to stay with its owner. And I was thinking of that story. Because here, that, that dog, what it wanted was to be with its owner. And this passage tries to get us to focus our attention on the fact that the one place that we're going to be happy is when God himself comes to be with us. And so all of the promises in your life that says more presence that says that some person, that some situation, some restoration, something being fixed out there is going to make me happy. This passage calls us to focus our attention on the fact that there will only be joy. Not when other people think better of us. Not when we have more things. Not when that person comes back. But when the Lord gives us his presence, then we can be happy. This passage is this call to say, don't fix your attention in all of those places. Instead, fix your attention where John the Baptist is going to try and fix our attention on the fact that one day the Lord is coming. Not just, well, he came one time, sweet baby Jesus, everything's going to be okay. The Jesus that came at Christmas is the Jesus that promised to come back and make everything right. And so Christmas is this call to say, I'm going to be a person ready, prepared for the presence of the Lord. I'm going to be prepared for him when he comes back. I'm going to long for the moment when he comes back, not longing for anything in my life to be fixed here and now before I can be happy. 
but only when I get to see him, only when I get to be with him, so that Christmas calls us to lift our eyes up towards the coming of the Lord, the return of the Lord. So if you're a a student, elementary school, high school student, college student, and you're here and you go, what is that thing that you're getting ready for that's going to make you happy? It's not a person, and it's not an event, it's not a place, it's Jesus. Maybe you're a retiree who don't, you don't know what to look forward to this Christmas. People will be in and out, or maybe they won't be there at all. This passage says, don't fix your attention on anything else to make you happy except for the coming of the Lord. If you come from a broken home with family secrets where everybody is supposed to talk about how great it is at Christmas, and you go, well, how could I ever be happy with that memory, with that that still brokenness happening in my life? How could I ever be happy? How could I ever find joy? This passage says, get ready because the Lord's presence brings joy even to people from broken homes. Second reason to get ready for joy. Verse 13 tells us, get ready because it's news. Get ready because it's news. Verse 13. The angel comes and says, your prayer has been heard. The world is going to be made right. And then he gives him a name and he says, it's John. The good news about Christianity is that Christianity is built with, on people with real names in real history. Christianity is news, not just beliefs and not just hopes and not just warm feelings. This, is, this Christmas announcement is based on a real baby with the name of John, whose parents are Zachariah and Elizabeth, who come from the family line of Aaron and Abijah. Christianity and joy come because of news. So often, Christianity in our minds can be reduced to laws. It can be just reduced to rules, to commandments, to, well, behavior, to, well, I wish I, I, we should just be better. I should be a better Christian. I should be this. I should be this. I should be this. And the good news at Christmas is that it's news. It's a true, it's a story that happened in history. And our hope of Jesus is also a moment of history. And so when we get ready for joy, we're not just get ready, getting ready for warm feelings and, or hoping that bad feelings pass. We are actually going into this Christmas season rooted to this news of the baby John and the baby Jesus and the coming of the King but one day. The most wonderful and compelling and beautiful story in all the world is the story of Jesus Christ. And the best part is, it's true. That's what we want for our kids and for our grandkids, is to not just hear morals and to not just hear behavior, but to hear news. And Christmas is the perfect time to say, can you, can you believe that Christmas is the, the, this amazing chapter in the history of God rescuing broken people and repairing broken homes and overwhelming a history of shame and neglect of addiction. Christianity is about news. And so we get ready for joy because of news. So the application of this for us is to, to begin to pray, God, can you help us reframe our faith this Christmas as news? And as our response to news, not just hope or feeling or belief. God, help us change our minds from just thinking, well, this is tradition to this is the, the facts of the world. And this is what you are doing in my life and in the world. 
So the second reason to get ready for joy is we get ready for joy because it is news. The third reason we get ready for joy is get ready because the Lord's words are trustworthy. Like that's, that's, what, this, that's what Zechariah's problem is. He doesn't, he doesn't wonder what, does, what are you saying. The angel of the Lord is very clear. Gabriel is very clear. You're going to have a baby and you will name him John. Zechariah was clear on what the words were, but he was wondering, can I believe you? So the angel's response in verse 20. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Gabriel's like, there is no doubt this is going to happen. I have stood before the face of the Lord. And I have heard these words from him and I am giving these to you. And so these are going to happen. These words are trustworthy. And so Zechariah's problem here, problem of Gideon, the problem of Abraham, the problem of Adam and Eve in the garden, can we believe that God is, God's words are true, is not a new problem. When you and I wonder, does God really mean this? Is he really being good? Are his promises really going to come true? Is it worth it for me to trust him, to obey him, to love him, to long for him? That's not a new problem. But what's, uh, what's different in this chapter is that this birth announcement and the story of Jesus is about God keeping his word. When Zechariah goes, can I believe this? God's going to keep it anyway. That's the good news of Christmas. Is that Christmas is the proof of God saying, watch this. You've had so much trouble believing me. Watch what I'm about to do. When I was, I think I was in seventh grade, I went to camp one summer. And I had, I'd been through to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, other nights. I'd been to revivals. I'd been to all that stuff. But I could not tell you more than like the time that the preacher used a bad word. That I couldn't, couldn't tell you any of the sermons. I'm in seventh grade and I go to camp. And there was a sermon. And for years after that, I could, like, I could tell it to you word for word. Or, well, I'll say point for point. Well, let's be honest. I can tell you point by point what that sermon was. It turns out when I graduated college, I was going to work at a camp, and the guy that had preached that sermon was going to be the camp pastor for us that summer. And so I met him in the like, elevator as we were about to start camp for the summer. And I was like, I still remember, we're almost like note for note, what your sermon was back when I was in seventh grade. And he was like, was it this sermon? And he just, like, just kind of rattled it off. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it is. Turns out he'd had students his entire like, career doing summer camps tell him, yeah, 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 I remember that specific sermon. And the reason that it was such a powerful sermon for me was this is in the middle of summer, so this isn't Christmas. But he showed several, seven verses from the Old Testament, promises of a Messiah that are fulfilled in the in the birth of Jesus. And he said, if this is true, God keeping his promises in the man Jesus, then we can take all of his other promises and trust them. If these promises that God fulfills at Christmas in the man Jesus are true, then when he says in Hebrews chapter 13, I will never leave you or forsake you, we can believe him. And to a seventh grader who needs, who needs something in life to hang on to because 
my body's changing and my world is changing and I don't know where I'm, what I'm becoming and I don't know what's happening in the world. The, like being able to hold on to the truth that God keeps promises. And so every time I find one of them, I can believe it. That is what Christmas is about. This birth announcement and the rest of the Christmas story is us saying, get ready for joy because the Lord's words are trustworthy. He kept his promises. And when he says, I'm coming and I'm coming back and you will have joy and I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. We can believe him. We can believe him that he's going to keep his promises. And so Christmas might be us getting ready for joy with difficulty. Decorating might be hard. The memories might be hard. The traditions might be hard. But we can trust that he's in the middle of keeping his promises. And he does not going to drop the ball. So you can trust his word. You can get ready this Christmas. You can trust that the God who kept his promises at Christmas will one day trade your mourning for dancing. You can trust that one day he will take away the shame and replace it with honor. And so Christmas is a time for us to get ready for joy, longing for that day. The fourth reason to get ready for joy is get ready because the Lord specializes in taking away disgrace and shame. That's what he specializes in, and we see it here. So when we, when we come to the Bible, especially to a story like this, the thing that's most important are the words that people use. The, the way the Bible tells stories is, like there's the setting, and then there's what the characters say, and what Jesus says, and what God says. Like there's this, the, the entire focus of a story is on words. So we've been walking through and looking here in this sermon at, at what Zechariah's words were, and what the angel's words were, and directing our attention to these. But I want you to look at Elizabeth's words at the end because they're not throwaway. They're not just like, oh, praise God, I'm pregnant. Like these are, these are incredibly important words that Elizabeth is saying. Because what Elizabeth, what, what this does is this sets up everything else that's going to happen in the book of Luke. Luke is a, a gifted writer, does lots of amazing things, and he's setting up in this story the themes that he's going to develop in the rest of the book of Luke. It's a true history, and God, using the gifts of Luke, sets up, this is what my book is about. This is what she says. The, verse 25, The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Let me read that again. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. What Elizabeth is highlighting here is that the Lord's specialty is taking disgrace and exchanging it for honor. Taking shame away and giving blessing in its place. The, the Lord's specialty is this idea of reversal. The rest of the book of Luke is going to have him, Jesus, focusing his attention on the poor and the poor in spirit. Jesus taking and giving honor to women who had no honor. Jesus going in and blessing the sin, the sinful, and not just those that never needed a doctor, never needed forgiveness. The, the rest of the book of Luke is going to be on Jesus coming in and reversing. And what Elizabeth highlights for us here is that the Lord has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Which means that Christmas is about disgrace and shame that get taken away. 
Christmas is not just about warm, fuzzy traditions and gifts that are given. Christmas is about shame and disgrace that are no more. And so those parts of your story that you wish you could undo, those, those, those broken parts of your life, those broken relationships that you can't grab and hold together, you can't fix it, you can't fix your family, you can't fix your heart. Christmas is about the Lord who comes in and fixes those things. Christmas is about disgrace and shame being taken away. We see it later in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 7. One of my favorite stories, because it's a story where everybody in the story knows what this woman has done. She's come in and she's cleaning Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair. And the men at the table are like, if this man knew what she had done, they knew what kind of woman she was. Then Jesus, with his words, acknowledges, I know her sins and they are many. Jesus is like, yes, Simon, I know what this woman has done. It is this story of Jesus giving love and dignity to this woman who everybody in the story knows is filled with shame. And Jesus just takes her in and says, look at what she's done. Look at what she's done. Jesus giving honor and dignity to somebody that the world would give none to. Because that's what Jesus specializes in. And so Christmas for you and I is a reminder that in these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. And so today, if you harbor disgrace, shame, secrets, know that the Lord specializes in taking that away. If, there, if there's stuff that you just go, if people only knew, know that Jesus specializes in taking that away. That, that means Christmas is good news, right? Not just, oh, okay, that's nice, but Jesus, Jesus specializes in taking away my secrets. So, we're here today. And we go, okay, we're supposed to get ready for joy. We're supposed to get ready for joy. But what, where's the good news for those of us that struggle to believe any of this at all? Where's the good news for those of us that go, I don't long for the Lord's presence. It sure feels like bad news to me. I haven't believed His words and I'm struggling to believe them now. Where is the good news for us this Christmas? I think it's reflected in these words. He has taken away my disgrace among the people. You see, Christmas is not about do better, do better, do better. It's about the God-man, Jesus Christ, coming and living the life that we should live and dying the death that we should die so that the only thing left for us who have repented and trusted in Jesus is the good news that his presence means a smile, or that his presence and his face will have a smile. The news that it doesn't depend on how well I do this week or this year. How much I believe. Instead, he takes away our disgrace by obeying God's law in our place. And so then, we can respond to the Lord's words as trustworthy from the faithfulness of Jesus rather than to try and get our own faithfulness. 
we can long for the Lord's presence, knowing that Jesus from the cross said, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your face from me? He was longing for the presence of the Lord in our place because we have not done that. Jesus died naked on a cross, disgraced and ashamed for you and for me. How does that become ours? How does that become ours? That becomes ours in what the Bible calls repentance and faith. By turning away from our sin, turning away from living our own way, doing our own kingdom, doing our own thing, and trusting in Jesus only to save us. Not by just trying to look forward to the Lord more. Not just trying to believe a little bit more. Not just trying to get rid of the disgrace and the shame, but trading it by responding to his words and saying, I trust Jesus and I turn away from my sin. If, you hear our t- if you're here today and you have questions about that, or you say, I want to declare to the church that I am trusting in Jesus, that I belong to Jesus, come and grab me at the end of the service as we sing a song to respond. This passage tells us to get ready because joy is coming. I want you to imagine what life would be like when your joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Imagine what, what it would be like when, you're, when your joy does not depend on what other people think about you. It doesn't depend on how much you have, but on, on, on the, the person of Jesus Christ and the promise that he is going to come back and he has made a home for you and he's going to welcome you into it one day. Imagine what happens when your shame is actually gone. When, when the shame and those feelings and the secrets are one day just, they're just gone. Sounds like good news. Imagine what happens in a church that's, that's getting ready and longing for joy. Getting ready for joy. Not just managing life, trying to get through Trying to, keep, trying to keep each other in line, trying to keep making sure that we behave. But it's instead a church that instead spurs on each other on in longing for the Lord's presence. It sounds like a good news kind of church. A church where disgrace and shame have been taken by Jesus. And we can live our lives in light of truth and longing for His presence. Let's pray. God, I pray here at Christmas that You would help us to long for your presence. May we long for the one thing that you promised to give us, which is Jesus, this Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen.